I do want to welcome you to Connection Point and to all those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I serve as lead pastors at this great church. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thanks for being here on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I was uh, working on uh, finishing up this message on Friday. Typically, I finish those earlier than that, but it's been a busy couple of weeks. And uh, Friday is usually a day out of the office for me. Um, so I was working on it for my home office. But as I was trying to finish this week's message, I, I got a little distracted. So I'd like you to see what my distraction was this morning. <laughs> there he is. It's our five-year-old Lucas, and uh, he would like to be a mixed martial arts fighter. Uh, so he wanted to fight me while I'm trying to get my message done. <laughs> um, but he's a good distraction. I'm glad for it. But have you ever had things in life that you're working on something and you get distracted from? We live in a life that really is filled with distractions. Uh, maybe you were supposed to study for a test, and instead you hung out with friends, or uh, supposed to get some yard work done, but that movie was a lot better, and uh, we get distracted. We've got distractions in life. We, we live in a life and in a day where we've got lots of distractions around us. And the challenge for that as we live for God is there are lots of things that can distract us from fully living for God. There really are. And as we head back into our series in Luke this morning, what we're going to find is, is Jesus begins to highlight some of those things as he's got his face set on Jerusalem, he's going this direction, and, and he's encouraging others to do the same. And what we're going to find is, in life, living for God must come first. In life, living for God, it must come first. It's, it's got to trump everything else. And so Jesus helps us with that this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you have your Bible with you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got one underneath the seat in front of you. We really, uh, it's, a, it's a high priority for us that you be in God's Word. So if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that one home with you. We want you to be reading God's Word. Read a chapter a day. It uh, will begin to transform your mind in ways that, that is helpful for you in life. I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word today, simply to highlight the fact that God gave His Word to us. And so we want to highlight that in a different way. And so we just stand out of reverence for God. Thank you for giving us your word. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, reading verses 51 through 62. And Luke writes, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, so he's talking about Jesus here, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we left off several weeks ago on our series in Luke, and where we left it is Jesus has come down from what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, likely Mount Hermon, and, and he gets back into the village and he heals a, a demon-possessed boy. And the disciples, we said that they're in school, school's in session, they're journeying with him and Jesus is teaching the disciples a lot of lessons. And now what happens here is there's this transition in this book of the Bible where Luke says that Jesus set his eyes 
on Jerusalem. So at this point, Jesus is, is basically, he has lived 30 years, a bit of an anonymous life. He's been baptized, he's been in the wilderness, he's called some disciples to him, but now his face is set on Jerusalem. And what we find from our passage this morning is now he's inviting other people to set their face on Jerusalem as well, to really set their face on what is the mission of Jesus. And that's the invitation all of us have this morning, but to do that, we've got to get rid of distractions. And Jesus highlights a few of those. And the first one that we run into this morning is that for us to live for God, we must not get distracted with offense. That's the first one. That as we live for God, we cannot, we must not get distracted with offense. So they're traveling, they're up in the Galilee, they're going to Jerusalem. What they're doing is they're following this mountain ridge line and they pass through Samaria. And as they're passing through Samaria, some messengers go ahead of Jesus and the disciples. They go to set up a place for them to stay. They get rejected. And what's the response? James and John, they get offended. They get offended for themselves. They get offended for Jesus. They get offended for all of the disciples. And so then they ask Jesus, Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven to consume them? You ever read that? And I don't know. I mean, like the first time I'm reading through that, does anybody expect Jesus to say yes? <laughs> yes, that's a good idea. I think you should do that. No, nobody. No, no matter where you're at, probably not thinking that's probably going to be the response. But it is interesting when you look at James and John that if we're not careful, we can respond to culture in the same way. But Jesus gently reminds us what the admonition is as we follow him. Uh, the, the NASB, the New American Standard, that's actually the version of the Bible I grew up with. It's the most literal translation, translation of the text. And, and I love the, the light that it sheds on this, what the rebuke was. So we find in Luke 9, 55 to 56, they kind of fill in a gap here. But he turned and rebuked them, so Jesus here, and here's what he says. You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. Aren't we glad that Jesus came to save lives? Praise God for that. I'm thankful for it for my own life. I'm thankful for it for your lives. And I'm thankful for it for the lives of everybody who's not in this room today. Jesus came to save lives. And it's good for us to be reminded of that. And I think it's a good reminder for us, especially in a day where we're kind of living in a bit of a contentious time. Anybody figure that out? I don't know. Yeah, we, we are. And so when we're living in that kind of a contentious time, this is a great scripture for us to reflect on and see what's the application for us today. Because here's my concern. I'm concerned that if we engage in culture wars, we will not be able to fulfill the Great Commission. My concern is, is if we aggressively fight a broken society, it's going to be hard for us to fulfill the great commandment of loving God and loving our neighbors. Does this make sense? It's kind of quiet. It's okay. I want to unpack that a little bit. But I think we really need to look at the scripture for ourselves this morning. Because I'm sure the, the response could be, but pastor, people are kind of attacking Christians in the church. And so what should our response be? And, and we should respond. But I think there's two things we need to keep in mind as we do. The, the first is this. We're not fighting against people. It's really important for us to grab a hold of that. We're not fighting against people. Paul, a, a New Testament a follower of Jesus, he writes about this in Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 6.12, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. He's saying, we're not fighting against people, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So we're not fighting against people, we're fighting against the evil that's influencing people. And there's, that's a, it's a really important differentiation. We need to understand what we're fighting against. 
And I think that also should call us to respond in one very important way. How do we fight against evil? It's not a trick question. Somebody said it, prayer. One of my concerns for the church, and I'm talking about just American church here, is we don't spend enough time in prayer. If we really want to engage the world that we live in in a meaningful way, we need to spend a lot more time on our knees. We need to be a praying church. And we're going to provide you space to do that, global prayer events and week of prayer in January. And So my, my first challenge would be, let's remember, we're not fighting against people. We are fighting against evil. And how do we fight evil? We fight it in prayer. The second thing we find from this passage is that Jesus does not ask James and John to serve as a judge. Jesus is not asking us to serve as a judge. And I want to say, thank God. I would not judge people right. But I also want to be very clear here. Will the world one day be judged? Yes. Read scripture. Judgment will come. Who's coming again? Jesus. And Jesus will judge the world. So we know this. But this is why it's so important for us to help people know who he is. This is why we baptize people. Because we want to help people know the truth before judgment comes. So, but what we need to understand is we're not called a judge, and I'm so thankful. I would mess it up, I'm sure. There's, that we're not called to that. So as we go about the world, may we understand our calling is opportunity and invitation. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. Go and make disciples. Go, teach, and baptize. That's what we've been asked. So let's go after that, and let's let Jesus be Jesus, and may we be, fulfill our part as well. Are you tracking with me this morning? So what does that mean for us today? And I would say this, you know, where has that come from? Why have we felt like maybe we need to aggressively fight a broken society? And I would say the answer is fear. You see, we fear what we do not understand and what we cannot control. I want to say that again. We fear what we don't understand and what we cannot control. But what does Jesus tell us about fear? Do not fear. Do not be anxious. Do not worry over and over and over again. And I think part of the reason he tells us that is because he knows we're going to continue to live in a society we cannot control. But we don't have to fear. And why do we not have to fear? Who wins in the end? God wins. And we're part of that. We're a part of God's children. We're part of his family. So we need to be confident in who wins in the end and just fulfill our part in the in-between time. We don't need to fear. We know that God is still on the throne. He's not surprised at the condition of the world today, but he does ask us to engage it and engage it in meaningful ways because there's a couple of responses that we have to the world that I think are fear-based. The first is that we do aggressively fight against a broken society, but I don't think that's the answer. I don't think as you look at scripture that that's the answer Jesus gives for us. Another way that we sometimes respond out of fear is we're afraid of offending people. So then we just jump on board and we're totally okay with everything the world stands for. But that's not love either, because we can't let people live in a, in a place where they're going to be disconnected from God. So that's not real love. So then the question is, what's the right biblical response? And I would put before you today that we invest in society with empathy and conviction. This is really important words. We invest in society with empathy and conviction. So what's empathy? Empathy is feeling with people, that we understand where they're coming from. And part of the way we do that is sometimes we've got to put a pause button on our thoughts and feelings about things to hear the thoughts and feelings of another. That's empathy. And I want to be really clear here. Empathy is not necessarily affirming someone else's worldview. So I didn't say affirming and conviction. I said empathy 
and conviction. There's a big difference. And what that means for me is I am firm in who I am in Christ. And I firmly believe that as I talk with another individual, they're meant to house the fullness of God too. So my approach in conversation is not one where I'm judging somebody, but I am shedding light on things in their life that are going to keep them from God. Jesus calls us to be salt and light. What does salt do? It preserves things. We're meant to help preserve people. And the other thing is we shed light on areas of their life that keep them separated from God. So be firm in who you are in Christ, but stay in the conversation, have a listening ear. And at the same time, when things are challenging God's word that we hold to a biblical view on life, be okay to stand in those convictions as well. My experience has been as long as you do that in a loving manner, chances are that person is going to listen as well. And at least you're going to maintain a relationship where you can continue to be salt and light in the life of that individual. Does that make sense this morning? Here's where some of this comes from. I was working on our yard, uh, which is like a jungle, by the way. So we bought a house that's been empty for like three years, and <laughs> no yard work was done in three years. Imagine what that looks like. Um, we had some youth, we hired a couple of youth yesterday to help us. Uh, one of the dads came in the backyard, and he's like, it's like a state park back here. I'm like, yeah, one that's gone wild, you know? It's, anyway, so we're trying to calm it down, but I was working in our yard a couple of weeks ago thinking about this message. Man, I don't know about you, but working in your yard, that's a great way to interact with your neighbors. I don't know how many of our neighbors I've been able to talk to just sitting in our front yard trying to take care of things. And what I was thinking about is the value that we have to share the story of Jesus. That's one of our church values. So when I talk about story, I'm talking about the gospel. Share the gospel of Jesus. Does anybody know what gospel means? Good news. And that was where I paused. And I just began to think, are we sharing good news? Or are the words coming out of our mouth simply aggressive and damaging? So my admonition for you is, Share good news. Share good news so that we can be salt and light in the world in which we live. So how do we apply that to our lives? Maybe you've got a coworker, a colleague who you've been disagreeable with. Could you invite them to lunch tomorrow and just engage them in conversation? Put your thoughts and opinions on pause, on hold. Hear where they're coming from so that you can feel with them and watch as God allows you to begin to speak into that person's life as well. That'd be one way to do it. Another thought I had is... Uh, how many know that sometimes social media can be a place where people express opinions and it can be a challenging space where that occurs? Could I challenge you this morning? If you wouldn't say it to someone face-to-face, -face, why do you want to say it on social media? I'm just, you know, something to think about. And I would say if what you're saying there isn't encouraging, maybe think twice about sharing it there at all. What my experience has been, if I'm going to share something challenging, that sure works a whole lot better person-to-person than it does by email, text, or on social media. Does that make sense this morning? Just some pastoral thoughts. We are called to engage the world, but let's do it with empathy and conviction. Let's live for God and not get distracted by offense. As we continue traveling in this passage, what we find is that to live for God, we also must not get distracted with comfort. To live for God, we must not get distracted with comfort. So they're continuing to travel along the way. They're headed to Jerusalem. Uh, a, a man comes and, and, and tells Jesus, you know, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, foxes have holes uh, to live in. Birds have uh, places to sleep in a nest. But the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. So what he's communicating to this man, he says, look, my face is set on Jerusalem. And if you want to follow me, I'm not necessarily going to lead you into a life of comfort. One of the thoughts that I had about this verse is, I wonder if this man was sitting in the crowd one of those that was fed at the feeding of the 5,000. 
And maybe he had the thought, if I follow Jesus, then I get to have a free meal plan, you know? I don't know, you know? There's just, it, it, you gotta think about some of the motivations for people to follow Jesus. And so Jesus just wants to make clear, look, if you follow me, just know you're gonna probably come and bump up against some uncomfortable moments. So part of following Jesus is understanding I can't make my goal of the pursuit of a life of comfort. That's not what my goal should be. My goal should be is following Jesus and bringing others along with me. That needs to be my goal, which means sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, I I was thinking about how I love reading uh, stories of Christian heroes, you know, like Corey Tin Boom and uh, lots of other people. And I thought what we love about those stories is we love the challenge that these people face and how God helps them overcome it. But what I also found is we love reading those stories, but I don't want to really live in that story, (laughs) right? Like, I'd rather live a comfortable life, but I want to tell you, God wants to take you on an incredible journey. He wants to make an incredible story of your life, and his goal for your life is not comfort. His goal for your life is that you look like Jesus, and sometimes that happens through uncomfortable moments. Your greatest growth will likely occur in the uncomfortable moments of your life. They just will. And so I just encourage you, walk in that. Understand, God, you are faithful. I mean, we're reading about it. I love that song, God, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for the life that we have in you. No matter what I walk through, I know that you're walking through it with me and you're helping me become more like you. So don't get distracted with comfort. And the last thing we find this morning is that as you live for God, we must not get distracted with cultural or relational obligations. To live for God, we can't get distracted with cultural or relational obligations. So after Jesus talks with this, this man and says that he's got nowhere to rest his head, which is interesting, you know, because he just got rejected at a village. So like this is very real to life when he enters into that conversation. But he also then goes and engages two other people who he says, follow me. And the first one says, but, but I first need to go back and bury my father. And what does Jesus say? He says, let the dead bury the dead. You go preach good news. Wow. And he goes from that conversation into another with another guy. He says, follow me. And, and that guy says, well, let me first go back and say farewell to my family. And, and Jesus says, anybody who looks back isn't fit to be in my kingdom. Woo. I would this morning like to introduce you to Mike Drop Jesus. In case you haven't met him yet, he says some incredible things. I mean, you've got a guy that says, let me go bury my dad. Let the dead bury their dead. Boom. And he just walks away from the scene. You know, and another guy, he's, he's showing up and he says, I need to first go see farewell to my, my mom and my dad. My mom will kill me if I don't. If you turn back, you're not fit for the kingdom. Boom. You know, it's just like, wow, that's some crazy stuff. Now, obviously, there's more things going on there. Culturally, we need to look that not just through Western eyes. We need to, need to read it through first century Middle Eastern eyes. That helps us. And so I want to explain a little bit of the background, but I still want you to understand Jesus is still saying challenging things to us today. When he, the guy says, I want to go bury my father, there basically was kind of two burials that happened in the first century. The first was after someone died. So we read that. Let me back up. We read that in a Western context. We're thinking this guy's dad just died. Like his family's making funeral preparations. He's gone away to talk to Jesus and says, I need to go back and do the funeral. And Jesus is like, forget it. Let the dead bury the dead. Like that it is a little bit interesting. That's not what he's saying. What happens in the first century, someone dies, they bury him in the family tomb, they put him on the middle place where someone dies. Once the body is decomposed a year later, they go back in, they collect all the bones, they put them in what's a, like an, a small ossuary and put it in a different part of the family tomb. So that's like a year later. So this is what Jesus is talking about. If you were on the trip with us in uh, Israel last June, 
you would have seen some of these boxes. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, we don't have a year to wait. There's things that need to be proclaimed. We need to share the good news. So don't let other things in your life distract you. And then for this other person who says, well, I first need to go say farewell to mom and dad. If he's going to go say farewell, they're going to invite their neighbors. They're going to have a party. This is going to take a long time. This isn't like a simple farewell. This is a days, weeks, or longer if his parents can hold on to him. And so Jesus is saying, don't get distracted by those things. So how do we apply that to our lives today? It's basically this. What are those things in your life that are maybe important, even meaningful, even good things that are distracting you from fully living for God? We all have those things. Uh, One of the things I thought about in our culture today is kids. Uh, We love our kids. Oh, man. I I love coaching their soccer teams and, and doing life with them. I love making memories with our kids. But we also live in a day where too often kids become the center of a family's universe. God's meant to be the center of the family universe. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for your kids if your kids are at the center. So whatever that means for you this morning, you need to kind of figure that out. I firmly believe the Holy Spirit will begin to talk to you about ways that maybe you've put your kids at the center instead of putting Jesus at the center. You need to watch out for that. And the really cool thing is, is once you release your kids to God and once you no longer put them in the center, but Jesus at the center, when that kid later in life comes to you and says, hey mom, hey dad, Jesus wants me to go plant the church in inner city Chicago. You can release them. So instead of being offended, like I thought about that verse, you know, we just had Mother's Day a couple of weeks ago, and Jesus tells this guy, don't go back and say farewell. Like, that's a mom's, like, least favorite verse in the Bible, you know? (laughs) Part of the word for us today, parents, is we need to release our kids to Jesus and be okay with that, not be offended by that. We need to say, Jesus, you know your best for their lives, and so we're going to release them into your care. And don't give your kids a hard time. Like, you know, the kid shows up and like, okay, uh, God is telling me I need to go to India. And, and preach the good news there. And the mom's like, well, are you still going to come home for Christmas? Come on. <laughs> Fam- families, we've got to release our kids to the kingdom. Don't make them, like, make them turn their faces back. Let them go forward in the kingdom and live in his name and trust them for that. God cares for you and he cares for your kids. The other application I thought about, as we live in an agricultural community, which agricultural communities traditionally are very strong family communities, And if we really honestly look at this passage this morning, there are some interesting family implications for us. Both of these issues, I need to bury my father and I want to go say farewell to my family. What Jesus is saying is family obligations can actually get in the way of living fully for God. So what does that mean for us? If you attending every family birthday party, wedding, funeral, graduation, holiday, the list goes on and on, and you know it. If you being consumed by those things in your schedule leaves no room at the table for your neighbor, and I mean your literal neighbor, like somehow we've extended that out to like neighbor somewhere. How about like your real neighbor? If you've left no room at the table for your neighbor, we're not really fulfilling the great commandment of loving God and loving our neighbor. Here's an application, very simple in our, in our society, in, in the city that we live, Purdue. Man, if you're having Thanksgiving dinner, if you're having Christmas dinner, could you leave room at the table for some international students? I love that our Iranian students will come and have Thanksgiving and Christmas with us. It's an awesome joy. So I just encourage you, leave room at your table. Don't let your family obligations keep you from fulfilling loving God, loving your neighbor, and going teaching and baptizing. That'd be my encouragement for you today. I'm going to invite the music team to, to come back. We're going to close. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close. 
So my final word to you is this. We live in a day where there are lots of distractions that could keep you from living fully for the kingdom. The distractions of, of being offended. The distractions of cultural and relational obligations. The distractions of comfort. Don't be distracted. Live for God. Live for him fully. And what does Jesus say as we do? As you lose your life, as you give up your life and for my name, you'll gain it. So what Jesus is trying to lead the disciples in is he's saying, I want to lead you into extraordinary living, but to do that, you can't get distracted to keep your eyes focused on me and the kingdom of God. So I encourage you, don't get distracted. Stay focused on Jesus. He'll lead you where you should be going. Uh, Before we close this morning, I want to ask, maybe you're here today and you've never really given your life to God. You're not living for God, but somehow God led you here today. And he did that because he loves you and you're his child. He wants you to live fully in his name. So if that's you today and you say, I haven't been living for God, but I want to live for God today, with every head bowed in this room this morning, I just want to ask you and provide an opportunity for you to say, I want to live for God and I want to pray with you about that. So if you'd say, that's me today, I need to live for God, simply raise your hand and I want to pray with you before you leave today. Anybody would say, that's me. I have a heart to live for God and I just haven't been. I want to live well in his kingdom. I don't want to get distracted with everything else in my life. I need to keep my focus to keep the main thing, the main thing. Anybody here today would say, that's me. Help me live for God today. And I'll just pray with you before we go. God, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to live well in your name. King Jesus, I just pray that you would be king of our heart. I pray that we wouldn't get distracted from anything else in this life that could keep us from fully living for you. May we not get distracted by, by being offended, Lord. But may we remember you win. Lord, we win. And we can celebrate that. And so we can keep our eyes focused on you. We don't need to fear anything around us, but Lord, we can live fully in your name, confidently in your name. So Lord, help us to have hearts of empathy and conviction. I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us not be distracted by comfort. Lord, help us not be distracted by by cultural or relational obligations. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would shed light on each and every one in this room. Maybe ways that they have been distracted, but Lord, that you would have them to correct today. So as we close in song, I just pray, Jesus, that you would help them to commit those things to you. And we just pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the music team to come, and they're going to close us out in song. And, and I just encourage you, as we sing, if there's been some things in your heart that you've been fearful of, give those to Jesus. We're going to sing about our good, good God. He is good, so we don't need to fear. So give that to him before you leave today. And as the Holy Spirit starts working in your heart and pointing out things that, that maybe are keeping you from fully living for him, give that to him today before you go. But let's close in song.